We have enjoyed the last two weeks as we've been in this series, A Glorious Future. And today as we approach this third message in a series of what will be five messages, today we are going to be approaching the topic of we were created for this climb of faith. The first message was on we are created to do something significant. We were created for significance. And last week, we were created for divine partnership. Today, we were created for this climb of faith. And when you came in today, every one of you on your chairs should have found a glorious future prayer card. And I'd like you to take that, if you would, please. I'd like you to pay attention to it just for a moment as I can give you some instructions. We recognize that what God is leading us into and what he is asking us to do cannot be done in human strength. It absolutely requires prayer, an intercessory prayer. And we have sang songs today about God is the one that moves mountains and does miracles. And we're going to hear more about that even in the Word today. But one of the things that we are going to be doing is on November the 10th, Saturday morning, the day before our Commitment Celebration Sunday, we are going to be rearranging things here in the auditorium. And there will be some seats here in the middle. And then we're going to be having some prayer stations that will be scattered out around the rest of the sanctuary. And uh, what I need you to know is that you can't just show up at any time and expect to pray for an hour because it's going to be directed and guided prayer. So on your card, there are four different sections of time that we are inviting you to come. And the way that that will start is there will be people in the foyer that will greet you and bring you in, and there will be some instructions given to the whole group. And then there will be different people at the different stations of things that we're going to be praying for for our community and, and, and neighborhoods and missions and things of that nature. So for those of you that think, boy, there's no possible way I can pray for an hour, I just want you to know that you will be able to. Uh, in fact, it will probably be a wonderful growth in the development of your prayer life as you do this, but um, there is on your card an opportunity for you to check which one of those time slots is best available for you, and then at the end of the service, uh, our prayer team is going to be out in the back, and we will have some bowls for you to put these into. This is for us to, to make sure that we are prepared for the group sizes each hour that come in, but we recognize that as we seek the Lord in prayer that there will be amazing things that will take place. And uh, we certainly want uh, you to understand that this prayer focus is as important as any other piece of this campaign. We recognize that we just cannot do this without prayer. And so we're going to invite you to do that. One of the aspects of the ministry here at Grace Assembly that um, is so enjoyable to watch and has actually been a, an avenue by which many families have come to be introduced to Grace is our children's ministry. We have world-class children's ministry here. In fact, every time we have a service up here, there's a service going on downstairs. And Pastor Julie um, asked the kids to write letters to me as to why they love the church. And so I've got a few of these letters that say, Dear Pastor Doug, I love, the, I love our church because. And, and uh, one of them says, You can learn more about God and get more friends. Another reason I love this church is because this church has Christmas plays every year. The last reason I love this church is because we can learn to worship God and we can praise him. And that's from Elizabeth. Another one says, I love our church because I learn about God and I've learned to praise him. And I learned that God is powerful and mighty and strong. And God has made me to be very kind and hopeful. And that's from Jonna. Another one says, I love all the people and all my friends that we have 
And I also love that we have our own kids' church and that we are all like family together. Another one said, my dad grew up here, and I like hanging out with all my friends. Most of all, I love being in the presence of God when we worship. I like the pastor. That's one of the reasons I chose this letter. (laughs) I like the pastor. I like my teacher. I like Miss Debbie. I like Junior Bible Quiz, and that's from Audrey. Uh, Samantha says, I love our church because people are getting saved every Sunday. I, I love that, that our kids are having revival service downstairs and that every time there's a new soul here, there are new souls there. That every Sunday kids are getting saved in kids' church and we're learning to worship. I'm excited for the new church and I like how we will have girls' ministry and Royal Rangers and Remnant. I'm just excited about our glorious future. I like that kid. Another letter says, I love our church because it's welcoming to newcomers. When my family arrived, we felt nothing but warmth and love from everybody here at Grace. It made our transition so much smoother and helped Syracuse feel like home. I'm eternally grateful for this and can't wait for all the new people to feel the same way I did when I visited. And that's from Gianna. And then there was this one that was a little bit shorter but right to the point. Jasper wrote, I love our church because there is no devil here. There's only Jesus. Some of you are devilish, but not not the devil. (laughs) Lastly, there was one that wrote it. I love our church because it brought me to God, and now I have the courage to tell people about Jesus that I never had before. I can feel the Holy Spirit around during worship time, and I thank you for reading my letter from Victoria. (laughs) We're going to be displaying our kids' letters so that Everybody can see them as we go through this because I do want you to understand there's way more going on in our church than what just takes place in here on Sunday mornings, and I'm certainly thankful for all that God is doing. One of the things that we have been doing over these past couple of weeks is we've been introducing you to different people and the stories that they have as we're getting to know one another better, and I want to introduce you today to the video of Joanna. My name is Joanna Lumsden and I have been in Greece since August 2016 when I came from Panama, my home country. The first Sunday they picked me up and I came and I felt home since since the beginning. <laughs> Smiles all over the place. Uh, people smiling at me and, and making me feel welcome. Uh, I really, and hug, hugging me. That's something that I really missed from Panama. And having that here in church from people that don't know me, ah, oh, that was so nice. I really felt love that day, <laughs> and since that day, <laughs> I really feel the family. People care for you, and people will really ask you, "How are you?" Oh, they mean that. It's not because they just want to be nice. They really mean that, and I, I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, I feel the the van, and the people that I have met there, um, and and that I interact with the relationship have become more and more closer. So the van itself is also another ministry. <laughs> when I think about the future of Grace Assembly, I think what um, is more, most exciting to me is 
to see more students and to see them involved and to see people be able to to help them to grow as well but for that we need investment investment of time and investment of uh, people to be able to do that and now this investment of uh, this big project <laughs> living generally for me it will mean that I will give more that I can even uh, think yeah it's just a way to say God thank you thank you for, for what you have given me and, and thank you for the opportunity to give because I, I have something to give I give because I know that this is a way that I I grow also in my relationship with God Trusting God without any borders and doing that bodily is just depending on Him completely. And if He told me to do uh, to go in this way bodily, He will be with me. I I don't have to be afraid. Uh, and, and and I have seen that actually coming in this country to this country uh, without knowing anything, without knowing the language very well, without knowing the culture. But I had no place to live. Uh, I had nothing to, I didn't even know where that place was located in the map. So I just said, God, I, you are in front of me. And I and I trust him. And, and, and he, God, really, if he is with us, there is nothing that can be against us. He will be there uh, all the way through, encouraging us and, and doing things to remind us I am here, I'm with you, and I will fulfill the plan that I have for you. I think trusting God boldly with my finances, I think is uh, like an expression of depending and relying on Him and knowing that God is in control in the finances, I think is the best thing that we can <laughs> we can ever have. And I know, I know that um, Trusting in Him, we will be free. I, I think we will be free of worries. Oh, I have to pay this. I have to pay that. I experienced that. The more, the more that I um, trust God about uh, money, I see how He He provides, and, and in the right time, in the right time. And I think it is challenging. Yes, I understand. It is uh, scary. Yes, yes. It's normal. It's normal to feel scared. Scared. It's normal to feel. Um, uh, that I don't like it, the changes and all these things, it is okay. But that's where we really will grow. The larger the step that I, I give is the more that I grow and the more that I learn. I might fall sometimes, but I will get, get up. God will help me to, 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 to lift me up. I want to see more people come into grace. I want to see more people to be uh, loved. I, ha I have the dream that this this will be far, far, far big of what I'm seeing now. I have that dream that I will um, really be, 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 be part of that too. Dream that, seeing more people uh, to be able to, to, to come to Christ or to have a closer relationship with Christ because we love them uh, as Jesus asked us to do in this world. Yeah, give her a round of applause. Things started to change here when we started our van ministry. 
And I have been told by a number of those who are involved in our van ministry, the driving, that some of the best theological discussions take place among our university students on the way home from church. Uh, in fact, we've had some say, I don't know what you preached, Pastor, but I want you to know they dug into that deeper on the conversation. I learned from them just uh, listening to their conversations. And um, whenever we think that we've taken a step of faith, just think about some of our international students and what they've done to to be able to follow the Lord, and we're so very, very honored uh, that God has allowed them to be a part of our church, and that's fantastic. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like if you would take them and turn to Genesis chapter 22. I want to spend just a few minutes on, on a passage of Scripture, and honestly, I, I, I listened to a pastor by the name of Todd Clark at Parkview Church minister about this, and, and uh, as I, I heard it, there were some thoughts that he had that I wanted to be able to bring to you today about this. Genesis 22, and I'm going to read the first 14 verses, and I know that it's a story that many of you are familiar with, but I want to take a fresh look at it today in light of our glorious future and what God is accomplishing and what he desires to accomplish. Genesis 22, sometime later, God tested Abraham. Before I get too far, I want you just to underline that word tested, because some of you have the idea that once you come to Christ, that the tests are over and that life is a garden of roses. And I just want to bring a touch of realism that there are going to be tests and trials from the moment you come to know Christ, and all of them will be for your benefit. But I do want you to see that it is in Scripture God tests occasionally. Sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God says, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and he saddled his donkey and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance and he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the word for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, he replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood, and he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord cried out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him because I... I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns, and he went over and he took the ram, and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide, and to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided." Father, I ask now that you would just begin to open up our hearts so that we can hear what the Spirit has to say to each of us. 
And that, Lord, that we would come to an understanding that there are mountains that you put in front of us to climb, but as we grow in faith and climb these mountains, that what we experience is a greater understanding of your presence and provision. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. By now, all of you should have one of the booklets that we have been distributing, and I'm going to ask that you would take that booklet and that you would turn to page, uh, I believe it's 17, 16, excuse me. And there is, I've been asking that you would write your notes down in this booklet so that you could have them all together to refer to them. And this message that I want you to jot down some notes for are, you were created for this climb of faith. And what I would like you to write down first in this is slope one, Abraham and Isaac's side of the mountain. Slope one, Abraham and Isaac's side of the mountain. This is a dramatic and remarkable account of a crisis in Abraham's life. In fact, it's a story without precedent or parallel in the Old Testament. It's without precedent because God had never demanded human sacrifice, and it's without parallel because no one else had ever been commanded to do it. But the Scripture clearly states here that God tested Abraham. And said to him, Abraham, and after he responded, he told him, this is God speaking. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region and sacrifice him. There is a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. In the words of the Lord here, I, I find it interesting because God is, while he's speaking that he's about to take Abraham on a tremendous test, he's also revealing his heart to say to him, I understand what you're going through in this. Because he, he begins to speak to me. He could have just said, take your son Isaac and go and sacrifice him. But here's what he said. He said, take him. He's your only son. In other words, I recognize the size of the gift that I'm asking from for you. He goes on and he, he recognizes that this is the son whom you love. And then he goes on to say that what I want you to understand in this is that even though this is the son of promise, I know what I'm doing even though you don't. The promise in Abraham's mind and the command almost seem to contradict each other. How can, how can this son of mine be the promise of which many nations will come at the same time when you are asking me to sacrifice his life to you because in the natural this makes no sense because one seems to cancel out the other. And faced with this apparent contradiction, Abraham's character and Abraham's faith were what was being tested. How many of you recognize that sometimes God leads us into tests that we do not understand? The outcomes of it just seem to contradict each other when we begin to walk with him. We also recognize that in this scene, there's this sense of heartache and brokenness and a lack of understanding. This is illogical. This is the son that God had already told him would be the promised son. Why then, God, would you ask for this in the test? And then the Bible tells us that this was a three-day journey. And I, I was, as I was studying that, I began to think, how many of you are like me that when you get under stress, your communication patterns change? Any of you like that? How many of you, your husbands or your wives or your parents, they know when something's going on in your life because you change? How many of you get real quiet when you're under stress? Many of you. How many of you just talk nonstop when you're under stress? The rest of you. 
I was trying to imagine what this journey was like as Abraham knows that he's going on a journey where he's going to sacrifice his son. Isaac doesn't know this, but he knows something's wrong with dad. Because dad is walking, and for three days we have not talked about a camel race once. All the things that we would normally talk about, dad is just avoiding the subjects. It's just, it's quiet. There's tension filled, and, and I keep saying, what's on your mind? And somewhere along the way, he begins to look and See, hey, Dad, I, I recognize that some of what we need for a sacrifice is missing here. How's all this going to be? But the Bible says that on the third day, Abraham looks up, and as he's looking up, God spoke to him and said, that's the mountain I want you to climb, that mountain right there. And so he stops with his servants, and he tells them to stay with the donkey while the boy and I go over there, and then... There's a word in this verse that I want you to underline because it's really important for you to understand the rest of this account when he says, we will worship and then we will come back. I want you to underline that word worship. Jot that down in your notes if you would. Because here's what I want you to understand. The way they worshiped in the Old Testament and the way that we worship today are drastically different. Because when we think of worship today, we think of it in terms of music instruments, celebration. We sensed it today. There was this anticipatory aspect of the presence of God is here. He's moving mountains. There's wonderful things going on. We love worship. In fact, I've had people say, your church would be great if you just wouldn't preach because we love the worship. One or two have said that. But this is our idea of worship. But when Abraham looked at his servants and he said to them, we are going to worship what the servants understood with them when they went to worship. It always includes a sacrifice, which means it always includes death. To worship to Abraham meant something was going to die. Now, we recognize today on this side of the New Testament that we worship because someone has died for us. And as a result of that, we have been set free in the freedom of knowing that our sins have been forgiven. So when Abraham said to his travel party that they were going to climb this mountain to worship, everybody there understood that worship involved sacrifice and death and that they had brought with them only two of the three elements. They had with them the wood and the fire. In fact, Isaac, as they're climbing the mountain together in verse 7, he says, uh, the fire and the wood are here, Dad, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Can you imagine what was going through Abraham's mind as he's walking with his son, knowing that God has said, your son is going to be the lamb. If he had told him that, Isaac might have said, you're taking the rest of this journey on your own. Because I'm going back. And Abraham just simply answered in verse 8 and said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And it says, and the two of them went on together. The Bible says that as they were continuing on this climb of faith until they reached the place where the sacrifice was to be made, and Abraham at that point stops, and, and he begins to gather stones together to build an altar, and then he, he puts wood on the top of those stones. And then on top of that, he, he takes all this stuff that's off Isaac's back, and then he at some point has to look at his son and say, now son, this might not make any sense to you, but I need to tie you up. 
Now what you need to know now is that Isaac is not a little boy. Isaac is probably between 25 and 30, which means he is a grown enough man that if he had wanted to fight his dad, who was well over 100, chances are he was going to be able to overcome him. But somewhere, God began to bring to even Isaac's heart a peace that surpasses our ability to understand. And so he let his hands be tied and he let his feet be tied and he let his dad lay him on the top of the wood that he had brought to the top. And we read this study and we, we begin to look and say, why? Why would God ask Abraham to sacrifice and offer Isaac? And here's what I would offer you. At some point, the gift that God had given to Abraham became more important than the person to whom the gift had come from. It's perfectly right and normal for a father to love his son. But the command of the Lord is to love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. In other words, there's nothing to be between you and the God you love, not even relationships. At some point, Abraham's son Isaac had taken God's place within his life, and God will never allow that to happen without whispering in your ear, I want you to take that which has become more important and offer it to me as a sacrifice. This conflicting of priorities happens to us so easily because we often confuse his gifts and the possessions that he blesses us with, blesses us with, with him. And as he gives us things in our hands, we grab hold of those things. And then when it comes to God, he says, now, would you give back to me those things? And we're going, do I have to? I like what you've given to me. I like the gifts that you've given to me. And we actually grab those coming to a place where we say, this means more to me right now what you've given to me than the one who gave the gift. And God will always say, I need you to offer that an ark. On an altar of sacrifice. It's what causes us to lose our first love. I remember the day when I was called into the ministry. I was representing Evangel University at camp in Oregon. I had finished two years of college preparing to be business administration and accounting because I wanted to own my own sporting goods store. Bass Pro Shops is like my dream. And I remember kneeling with a young man who was at camp that week because his parents dropped him off so that they could divorce while he was away. And he was angry and bitter. And in the last night of camp, he came to a place where he yielded his heart and life to the Lord. And as I'm praying with this young man, the Lord just sent a wave over me of, can you tell me if there's anything in life that's more valuable than this? And I recognized God was beginning to change my desires. I also had started a relationship with a girl that I had fallen deeply in love with and was hoping for a future with. And as we were dating, when I was pursuing business administration, it was fine, but we had had these discussions, and I knew that being a pastor's wife was not one, one A, or two on her list of things to do in life. And I remember saying to the Lord, yes, Lord, I'll follow your call, but recognizing that in doing that, Saying yes to God might mean Cindy saying no to me. 
But the first test of my call was to offer that relationship as a sacrifice, saying, Lord, I understand you see things and know things I don't, so yes, I'm willing to offer this relationship if that's what it takes. God will always challenge you when he senses that there are things and possessions and money and people that may take his place as Lord of your life, that may take his place as those that you are more interested in being around than him. And so as Abraham raised his knife over his son and from their perspective, from the perspective of Isaac that's looking up at his father as the knife is about to be plunged and from the perspective of Abraham as he is about to obey God, from their view on the mountain, all hope is about to be lost. All hope is about to be gone. And let me just pause here for a moment and ask you this question that only you can answer. Have you ever felt that way in life? Have you ever been in a situation, a season where you're just doing your best to pursue God? You're just doing your best to be obedient. You're just following his lead and it doesn't seem that anything is going your way. Have any of you ever felt that? And you get to that place and saying, Lord, I'm doing my best to honor you and doing my best to obey you, but I'm, I'm right here and my hand is lifted and I feel like all hope is lost. Maybe it's about your marriage and you have tried so hard to try to make things work and just about the time things seem to be a breakthrough, something happens and you're going, Lord, I feel as if all hope is lost. Maybe you're going through a physical struggle Maybe the doctors have not given you good news and you're trying so hard to have faith in the Lord. Maybe it's about the spiritual aspect of your family and there are people in your family that are lost and you have prayed so hard and you have prayed so long and nothing seems to be happening and you're thinking, Lord, I feel as if all hope is lost. Or maybe you're facing a financial situation and every time you try to work your way to get out of trouble and just the moment it looks like you'll finally have a glimmer of hope, something breaks. And you feel as if, not again. Lord, we worked so hard. But you feel like all hope is about gone. Have any of you ever been there? Because here's what I want to say to you. If you feel like that now or if you have ever felt like that and you find yourself in that space today, here's what I want to say to you, Grace Assembly. Do not lose faith. Do not quit the journey. Do not stop now. Do not trust. Do not quit trusting now because in the moment that you dare to imagine what God could be up to and when you feel as if you're alone, that's when he begins to whisper in your ear, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's when he begins to say, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And here's what you need to remember. There is another side to the mountain that you are claiming, that as you're climbing it by faith, that you cannot see. So in your notes this morning, I want you to write down this in your booklet, slope two, God's side of the slope. How many of you know that as God is calling Abraham and Isaac up one side of the mountain with two of the elements that are needed for this sacrifice, that God is also calling a ram up the other side of the mountain? They couldn't see it from where they are, and as Abraham and Isaac took a few steps to climb up this side of the mountain, the ram being led by God, not knowing why he's taking steps up this side of the mountain, and they're growing closer and closer to each other, but they don't know they're there yet. Only God knew it. 
And don't let this image leave your mind that as you're making your way up the mountain, as you're climbing by faith, as Abraham and Isaac are climbing, the ram is climbing, and they're getting closer and closer to where they meet, and God's provision is provided. And here's what I'd like you to write down. Abraham's obedience collides with God's provision. Abraham's obedience collides with God's provision. When you are climbing a mountain by faith and obedience, you will always intersect God's provision. And let me stress this point. Abraham could not see what was happening on the other side of the mountain. He couldn't say to his son Isaac, don't worry, son, because when we get to verse 13, there's a ram up there. Just want you to know that. That's why I'm feeling so good about this. Because Abraham is living in verse 6. And the anxiousness is bothering him as he's climbing up because he doesn't know what God is going to do. And what he can't see is the ram that's climbing up the mountain from the other side. And because he couldn't see both sides of the mountain, his climb was a climb of faith. God could see that it was a climb of knowledge. How many of you and I know that we can't see both sides of the mountain either? We don't know what's coming in verse 13 because we are currently living in verse 6 and verse 5 and verse 7 and we're climbing up this thing and we're asking God, what are you going to do? Have any of you ever asked God that question? Lord, if you just let me know ahead of time, this climb would be so easier. And he says, no, no, it's a climb of faith. But as you trust me, as you keep taking another step, you're going to collide with my provision. Because here's something else I want you to write down. Only God can see both sides of the mountain. I've thought about this. What if, what if Abraham had stopped climbing? What if the tension got so great that as he's walking up one side of the mountain with Isaac, he just gets to that place where tears are beginning to roll down his face and he's beginning to think about what this is going to cost him and he just stops and says, I'm sorry, I'm stopping. This is it. No, no, I'm not going any farther. I believe that the moment he and Isaac would have stopped, the ram would have stopped. The moment he said no to the Lord, the provision would have stopped on the other side. If they had not reached the place where God was leading them to go, if they had stopped climbing, there would have been no supernatural intersection of Abraham's obedience with God's blessing. There would have been no daring faith. There would have been no studying this story today because the story would have been really short. Abraham and Isaac started to climb, and they stopped. Well, that wouldn't even made the Bible. <laughs> Nothing else happened. But what it caused me to wonder is this. How many times have we been instructed by the Spirit of the Lord to start climbing a mountain of faith when we have stopped? Never knowing what God was doing on the other side of that. It's caused me to wonder, how many times has God asked you, I want you to do something significant, and we're thinking, that's beyond me. And he's going, not if you reach the summit. It's not. Because you will collide with my provision if you'll just keep going. Or you've been prompted to, for a divine partnership to give something, but you just stopped. And then what happens is sometimes some of you have stopped a month too soon. Or maybe a week or a day or an hour, even a minute, just stopping short of intersecting God's marvelous, miraculous provision and the resources that he was bringing up the other side of the mountain into your life. We can't see both sides, but I do believe that there's a 
cloud of witnesses from heaven that can see it. And I believe at times they're going, don't stop now. I'm tired. I don't like climbing up mountains. It makes me sweat. I'm out of breath. This is hard work. Of course it's work. But if you get to the top, you get the prize. You intersect God's presence. And so there's a screaming crowd from heaven going, don't stop now. Don't stop now. And Grace Assembly, I believe with all of my heart that God still meets obedient people on the top of mountains with his provision available to you. And when you get there, you will say, it was worth it all because I have seen what God can do and I never stopped in my pursuit of God as I walked in faith to the top of the mountain. God is calling us to climb. Our church is 100 years old. But we are being renewed and empowered to be positioned as a central piece of the last day's revival that has been promised. And I do not want to miss what the Holy Spirit is about to pour out on this area. And I want to be in a place where the funnel of God's presence begins to pour right on us. And if it takes a climb of faith, then let's climb together. Because I want to intersect the provision that God has for us. There are tens of thousands of people that are surrounding us that do not yet have a faith in Jesus. And we have been called to them. And we're going to climb the mountain toward God's calling for the sake of those thousands that won't get a chance to worship him like we do unless we reach the top and come in contact and collide with God's provision. There was a lady by the name of Karen Watson who was a missionary. She went to Iraq and she was tragically killed in a drive-by shooting when she was there. She had written a letter to her pastor. She says, in the event of my death, I want you to read this. And at her funeral, when she was back home, he opened the letter and he read this to the congregation. She said, when God calls, there are no regrets. She goes, I wasn't called to a place. I was called to him. To obey was my objective. His glory was my reward. And then she says, his glory is my reward. And then she wrote this that I want you to think about because I believe it applies to all of us. God called me to care more than some think is wise, to risk more than some think is safe, to dream more than some think is practical, and to expect more than most think is possible. I was called not to comfort or success, but God has called me to obedience. And that is his call to every one of us today. We are called to obedience. I don't know what your mountain looks like, but if God has told you to climb it, what I'm gonna tell you is that when you collide with his provision on the top, every step of that journey will have been worth it all. And herein lies the lesson for us. When God makes a promise, don't waste time arguing with him. Don't waste time wondering if he'll come through. Don't waste time disbelieving that he's capable of keeping his word. Just say, if you've asked me to climb, I'm going to climb. Because I don't know what you're bringing up the other side of the mountain. But I'm not going to stop until I collide with your provision. Faith does not cause us to ask how. Faith believes and leaves the how in the hand of Almighty God.